We've been in a series in Matthew forever, but you can open your Bibles to Luke 10. <laughs> you can open your Bibles to Luke 10. Decided to, you know, mix it up and go with my namesake this morning. No, uh, this message is a follow-up to Wilson's message from last Sunday. Wilson talked about the person of peace evangelism strategy, and I'm going to be doing part two of that, and, and Wilson covered what the Gospel of Matthew had to say about person of peace. We're going to be looking at what the Gospel of Luke has to say about person of peace, just to em emphasize it and to uh, draw out even more about what that looks like in our everyday lives. So all of this is still a part of our little sub-series called The King's Mission for Every Christian. And I want to start with a little bit of a strong statement, so brace yourselves, but I think it's important. I think it's important just to call out kind of like the fundamental basis for this series, the, the, uh, the King's Mission for Every Christian. The fundamental basis for this series is this. If I call myself a Christian, like if I give myself that title, if I say I'm a follower of Jesus, then bottom line, if I don't participate in evangelism, I'm living in disobedience. Amen. Yep. That's <laughs> okay, not too hard for y'all, good. <laughs> I, didn't know, yeah, I didn't know to expect cheering or tomatoes flying up at me, but, but seriously, seriously, it's, it really, it comes down to that, and we're a merciful church. God's not calling you to do, go from zero to 100 to, to, tomorrow, but he's also not calling you to stay stagnant and stay where you are, and so it really is the king's mission for every single Christian, what we're talking about. Now, I know that for most of us, we already know that. We know that Jesus is calling us to participate in his mission through evangelism. We know he wants us to share our faith. But we just have, we have concerns and we have fears that come up around the topic of evangelism. I know for some of you, you're, you're thinking, well, I could share about Jesus with this friend of mine, or this family member, but what if I like ruin that close relationship? What if they get super offended at me and they you know, it puts up a barrier between the two of us. Or, or maybe some of you are like, I would be down to share the gospel with people, but I'm just terrified that I'm going to push them further away from Jesus, not bring them closer. Or maybe you, you're just like, ah, I get it. I get we need to be doing this, but does it have to feel so unnatural and so forced and so like salesy? Again, no offense to salesmen. And saleswomen. Uh, you know, funny enough, when I opened this series up three weeks ago, I gave a story about a, a pushy salesman that I encountered in Kroger. I've had another one since then. <laughs> I think there's probably something prophetic about this, but, but I, Jamie and I were at home and a guy came to our door and, you know, he was trying to sell me something that was related to my energy bill and and I'm talking to him, and he was much kinder than the one I talked about three weeks ago, but it was, I knew like every single thing that I said to him, he had a pre-scripted response that would keep directing me toward hopefully and eventually buying. And so finally, I just, I needed to move on with my day, 
And so I literally had to like shut the door on him while he was still talking to me. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like me, it wasn't like, you know, hanging up on someone. It was like, hey man, I'm sorry, I'm just really not interested. He kept going, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just you know. <laughs> and I know that, <laughs> I bring that up again, because I know for so many of us, we are so, we are so worried about coming across that way when we share the gospel. And that, that is a big obstacle when it comes to the average person sharing the gospel with others and doing evangelism. But the good news is that this person of peace evangelism strategy that Wilson introduced last week that I'm going to talk about more today, it is the opposite of the pushy salesman approach, and it addresses most of those questions. It's, it's not going to take all of the discomfort out of this thing. You know, there's, it's just... A reality. If we want to be a part of the mission of Jesus, we are going to have to step out of our comfort zone just a little bit. But it, instead of having to go like from not doing anything to diving in the water, the person of peace strategy allows us to put our ankle in and then our knee in and then our, our waist in and et cetera. So let's, let's get into it. Let me review Wilson's definition of a person of peace because that's going to be critical to this. So Wilson defined a person of peace as this. A person of peace is someone who receives the messenger, the message, and the mission. And Mike Breen kind of expounds on that in this way. He says, very simply, a person of peace is one who is prepared to hear the message of the kingdom and the king. He is ready to receive what God will give you to say at that moment. One who is not a person of peace will not receive what you have to say. We are not to belabor the issue. We don't need a script to address every single objection. We're not to belabor the issue. Jesus says to shake the dust off your feet and move on. No amount of co coercion on our part can make someone become a person of peace. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that freeing? Doesn't it just take the pressure off? Praise God. So in a lot of ways, the person of peace strategy, it's kind of like a, bad, a really poor salesman or like a bad salesman. And what I mean by that is like, it's a salesman who the second you show any disinterest says, okay, no problem, bless you, and leaves. <laughs> That's, and, and, but it's, but so the person of peace, it's rather than looking for those, looking for people who you're trying to convince into saying something, it's looking for those God has already prepared. It's looking for those God has already prepared. Now that does take some we have to be intentional about that. It's not, it's not a passive thing. You know, fishing really is such a great metaphor. And it's like, oh, wow, I wonder why Jesus used that one in the beginning of the Gospels. But, you know, in fishing, there is a passive element to it. You are, you're, uh, you know, you're casting a line into the water and you're waiting. But you're not like just going to any old spot in the lake, for those of you that have fished, and throwing your line in there and standing there for... 12 hours and just, you know, you're moving around, you're finding the spot, you're finding the, the right places to fish, you're, you're trying out different baits. It's, it's, it's like an active waiting yeah. is what fishing is. It's like an active waiting. And in, this, in the same way, that's how, that's how evangelism, that's how Jesus actually uh, modeled it in this person at peace idea. It's more of like an active waiting. So you're not diving in the water and trying to grab a fish with your hand and put the hook into its mouth but you're also not just like being completely passive. It's somewhere in between. 
Okay, let's, let's break that down. So let's read the passage. Again, you, uh, we're going to be in Luke, Luke today, Luke chapter 10. Gospel Luke is really a great book, besides just being my name. Okay, so Luke 10, and we're starting at verse 3. Here we go. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Okay. So we're going to start off by looking more closely at verse 5 and 6. You know, whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. So again, just to, just to emphasize even further, to be effective in the mission that the king has given us, we focus on those who receive us. Focus on those who receive you, a.k.a. persons of peace. So um, let me help you, let me help paint the picture for you as to what's going on here in Luke 10. So Jesus sent out his apostles two by two, and what you can imagine is like they, they would go into a town and they would start sharing the gospel with those in that town. And the gospel at that time was not like, let me take you to Romans 5, and now Romans 7, and now Romans 8. It was literally just the kingdom of God has come, everyone. The kingdom the prophets said would come, it's finally here. That's what they were saying. And I don't, we don't know whether they were like open-air preaching like people do, if you're not familiar with this. You know, we don't know if they kind of like had a little crate they were carrying around, and they would slap it on a street corner and stand on it and like cup their, you know, their mouth and shout. We don't know if they're doing that or if they were like going to the synagogue in that town and sharing to those who would gather at the synagogue or if they were doing it more like one-on-one. -on -one. We're not exactly sure how they were doing it, but that's what they were doing. And because the ancient Middle East was a hospitality culture, it would have been normal for eventually someone to say, invite the two to come back and stay at their house for that evening. I mean, for us, we can't even imagine that. Like, like what the heck? Two strangers preaching? They're not getting, coming to my house. But for, for the day, that would have been really normal. And so that's kind of what is like leading up to this person of peace moment. And so then Jesus instructs them, once they get to that home of whoever is trying to welcome them in, they're to say, peace to this house. Now, that kind of just sounds to us like a customary cultural greeting, 
but the announcement of peace is actually a rich theological concept that exists all throughout the prophetic literature, all throughout the Old Testament prophets. Let me just read you the, probably the most compelling place. Isaiah 52, 7. This is what Isaiah says. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So the announcement of peace was inextricably linked with the message of the good news of salvation. At least it was in the day that we're talking about. And so with that in mind, listen to how this commentator describes this like um, statement of peace be upon this house. This is what this, uh, uh, France, basically the goat, says. Uh, For the announcement of peace as an aspect of the coming of the kingdom of God, see Isaiah 52, 7. That's the one we just read. The greeting, peace to this house, is thus no mere formality. It is envisaged as an effective blessing which goes out and takes effect, provided that it is suitably received. If not, it will have no effect, but will return like an uncashed check. So that's kind of what's going on here. And so the announcement of peace, it was like a version. It was an iteration of proclaiming the gospel. It was essentially what they were saying in that phrase, peace be to this house. They were saying the peace of the Messiah has come to the earth, but even more so, it's come right to this very house right now, and you can receive it, and your whole home can receive it if you just say yes to it. So... That's kind of like what's behind this peace be upon you or peace to this house phrase that we wouldn't know if we didn't look into kind of the context. So my, my initial exposure to this idea was actually skeptical. And the reason it was skeptical is that I, I'd always read this passage, but to me, it kind of felt like this obscure thing that you only find in Matthew 10 and, of course, Luke 10. And I just didn't see it as something that could possibly be, uh, one, something we should model today, or two, definitely not like a foundational truth for evangelism in the scriptures. For me, it just it didn't really make sense. And so... I got to actually talk with one of the guys who did a ton of work in formulating this, Mike Breen, and I just asked him, like, hey, you know, it kind of seems like an obscure passage to base a whole evangelism strategy on. Uh, like, is there any other place in the Bible where we see this? And, and he very kindly, but still in a way that exposed my naivety, uh, walked me through some scriptures. And what's crazy is that when you have this person of peace paradigm in your mind and you read through the book of Acts, aka the Acts of the Apostles, the, like we actually have record, historical record, of how the earliest followers of Jesus continued his mission. It's the Acts. When you look at the book of Acts and you have this person of peace mentality in mind, you start seeing it everywhere. Let me just give you a few examples in case you don't believe me. So if you know what the subject of Acts 10 is, it's a pretty significant one. 
It's when the gospel first came to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So there's this guy named Cornelius at the beginning of Acts chapter 10. He's described as like a God-fearing man, but he was not a Christian because no one had ever shared the gospel with him. An angel appears to him and says, hey, I'm going to send someone to you, listen to his message. That's the message of salvation. At the same time, Peter, the apostle Peter, is in getting, he gets like this prophetic trance, and he is led from his city he was in in Joppa to the city where Cornelius was, Caesarea. And when Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, Cornelius tells him more or less, God showed me that you were going to come here, and so now here me and my whole household are to hear whatever message you're going to share with us. And so then Peter shares the gospel. The whole household uh, receives it in dramatic fashion, tongues, shouting out, etc. Do you guys remember the story? So take a look at the conclusion of it, Acts 10, verse 48. Uh, this is how it all ends. So he, Peter, ordered them... Cornelius and his household to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. So very similar to in Luke 10 with the person of peace, a message is proclaimed. If that message is received, those there get the blessing of that message. And then those that shared the message stay in that house. So, okay, we're starting to see it, you know, in a small way here in, in Acts chapter 10. Let's look at one that's even more compelling. This is a story about a conversion of a woman named Lydia in Acts chapter 16. So uh, for Li in Lydia's sake, God had led Paul, Luke, and the rest of Paul's entourage to a Greek city named Philippi through a vision. And so they start by going, there was no synagogue, there's no Jewish synagogue in Philippi because it was a Roman, severe Roman city. Uh, but they they went and found this place down by a river where God-fearing people were known to have gathered. And so let's read what happens. Acts 16. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. Luke is speaking in the first person now because he was there for this moment. A worshiper of God was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. So again, we have this instance where this isn't someone who, the, who Paul had to wrestle down and force the hook in her mouth. He just shared the gospel, and she had already been opened. Her heart had already, be op had already been opened by the Lord to receive the message, and then she invites them to stay at her house. Okay, another example. One more. In the same city, uh, there was, through a long series of events, Paul and one of his traveling companions, Silas, ended up in jail. And they're in jail, and a supernatural earthquake busts all of the prison doors open, and the jailer who was in charge of keeping that from happening was all of a sudden um, realizing that he'd utterly failed and he was probably going to be tortured and killed for it. So he's about to take his own life. And, and at that moment, Paul spoke up. And this is, this is what happened. This is Acts 16, 29 through 34. The jailer called for lights, 
And rushing in, he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. So Paul had said, like, don't do it, don't do it. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. They spoke the the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Again, house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. So, again, the jailer listened to Paul. He asked to hear the gospel. And then he and his whole household heard, received, were baptized. And then Paul and Silas stayed in his house and ate his food. Okay, so what do we take from all of this? It seems to be that a pattern for evangelism in the book of Acts was based on this idea of find those the Lord has already opened their hearts, for those that God's already opened their hearts. Find those people, find those people, share the gospel with them, and then stay with them. Don't immediately move on, but stay in their home. Let them serve you. Seems like this is what the earliest Christians did in advancing the gospel. And interestingly, there's a story in in Acts 14 where Paul goes to this place called Lystra with Barnabas, and this wild healing happens. And literally, it says the whole town, like, crowded around them. They started calling Paul and Barnabas gods. They were like, um, like, they were all convinced that what Paul and Barnabas were doing was from the Lord. And then it says some Jews came in and rallied the crowds against them. And next thing you know it, the same crowd that was calling Paul and Barnabas God stones Paul and almost kills him. Just from a little, just from, just on the turn of a hat like that. And so what, what we see from that is that there was no person of peace in that town. There was a whole crowd that seemed excited and seemed into it but there was no person of peace and there was no church established in Lystra, at least not at that time. So person of peace, is, it was the strategy of the early Christians in the early church. All right, uh, one thing to point out about those stories I shared out of Acts. Cornelius and the jailer were known to be persons of peace by Peter and Paul before the gospel was shared to them. So Peter knew he was being led to someone who was going to receive him. And, or at least he knew he was, he, was, he was being led to someone who he was pretty confident could be a person of peace. Same thing with the jailer. Like Paul, like the jailer was the one that actually asked for the message of salvation, as did Cornelius. Lydia, on the other hand, Paul was only able to know that Lydia was a person of peace by actually sharing the gospel. You see the distinction there. So on one hand, we have, there were these people who had kind of been like brought into the disciples' path who were asking for the gospel. On the other hand, we have Lydia who the disciples had no clue whether she wanted to hear the gospel or not, but in her hearing the gospel, she was identified as a person of peace. What that tells us is that we find persons of peace in two ways. 
One, just normal interaction with people. And two, by intentionally sharing the gospel with people. Those are the two ways that we discover persons of peace. I remember a time where I was at, I was at a restaurant on Northside meeting with a guy who was a person of peace for me. And while I was there, I had a book that, was, that, that dealt with like dealing with matters of racism. And I was reading that book before my friend showed up and this woman came up to me and she was just like, wow, thank you so much for reading that book. I love that book and I'm so happy that you're reading it. And it would have been so easy for me just to be like, oh yeah, no problem. You know, I, my faith in Jesus really compels me to care about these matters. And that could, have, and me, that could have shown me whether or not she was a person of peace and we could have went from there. Now, ironically, I was there to meet with a person of peace and Jesus is pretty clear, don't like move from house to house, like don't, you know, stay focused on the one person. So I stayed focused on my one person. But that's kind of how I imagine um, the more like, uh, natural, like the more you don't, it's like someone is just kind of comes into your path approach would go. So there's that way to find persons of peace. Another way I could have found a person of peace in that restaurant is I noticed that the, the cashier was looking really downcast, really sad, really depressed. I could have went up to them and just said, hey, excuse me, I just felt like God wanted to let you know that he uh, sees that you're having a hard time and, and has joy and peace for you. I could have gone that route as well. And then that, in doing that, that could have shown me whether he was a person of peace or not. You see the difference? You see how the, the second is more intentional. It's like, I'm actually going to share, like I'm gonna throw out a spiritual message and see how they respond to it. The former is kind of like, as I'm naturally interacting with someone already who is for some reason drawn to me, I'm going to make a spiritual comment. Two ways that you can, that you can, uh, See if someone's a person of peace. Okay, uh, last thing about this part of the passage. Persons of peace, they don't just receive the gospel themselves. They open up an entire network of people who are far from God. That's the strategic value of the person of peace strategy. When you spend one time with one strategically, like one strategic person, that one person getting saved that God has prepared is probably gonna to lead to a whole network of people, a whole household, if we use the biblical language, a whole household of people coming into faith. Okay, so that's the text. Let's talk now practically. How do we actually find a person of peace in our everyday lives? So I've got, I got, I got some steps for you, and these steps are not to be taken as a formula that repeats itself in this exact fashion every time. It's more like a model that I think will work in this way a lot of the time, but will often work in a slightly different way. So that's the disclaimer. Step one, create margin in your life. You are not gonna find any persons of peace if you are so busy that you don't even have time to do evangelism. And I know you're probably rolling your eyes like, okay, here they go, talking about margin and Sabbath again. And I understand that, but actually this passage, it really clearly says this, but not in a way that we would immediately recognize. Let me show you. So Luke 10, four, Jesus said, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and this phrase here, highlight it, greet no one on the road. 
That sounds a little bizarre, right? Like, what's Jesus saying? Is he saying, like, all right, as you're going, put your AirPods in. Keep your view straight ahead. If you see anyone you know, just don't look at them. The introverts are like, come on, I like person of peace. I've been doing that my whole life. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, is that what he's saying? Why wouldn't you greet someone? Well, here's the thing. Greetings in the ancient Middle East were nothing like they are today. So today, like a greeting, when I like, see someone in the hallway at work, I'll be walking, and I won't even stop walking. I'll just be, hey, how's it going? You know, and they'll say, hey, how's it going? And that'll be it. You know? Or maybe we've even we've perfected in the West the greeting to like, it doesn't have to be verbal. You can literally like look at someone, give them like a half you know, mouth closed smile, raise your eyebrows a little bit, and move on. That's all you have to do to greet someone in our day and age, right? Uh, listen to how greetings went in the ancient Middle East. Uh, here's, a com- here's what a commentator says. In the East, greetings are so tedious, so full of flattery, so certain to lead on to wayside gossip that men who are out on a work of life and death must run the risk of seeming unsocial sometimes. So these greetings that would happen in this day, they, you, could, you, could, you could start with, hey, what's up to someone? And then two hours later, you're still there going through just kind of the customs of the day, right? So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, don't let your time get consumed with stuff that's not pertinent to the mission. Don't let your time get consumed with stuff that's not pertinent to the mission. So what is the 21st century application? It's pretty obvious, right? If it's within your power to do so, don't overcommit your time, especially the times when you could be spending time with people far from God. And I'm not, I'm not saying this is easy. I know that for many of us, we almost feel like powerless over our schedules for one reason or another, some of those reasons perhaps more valid than others, but we feel powerless and... Uh, and so I'm not saying fix the whole problem today, but what I am saying is that you're never going to be a part of the mission of Jesus in the way he's calling you to if you don't create margin for it. And if you never choose to create margin for it, that's still disobedience. And so we have to start figuring out how can we get, how can we un- unbusy ourselves? Like how can we get rid of some of this busyness and participate in the mission of Jesus? Okay, so second step, spend time with and or in the midst of people far from God. So Luke 10.3, go. It's not, can't do it in your house, on your computer, over social media. I wish we could. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out. So we actually have to be around non-Christians sometimes. And this is really hard for many of us who have church people obsession syndrome. (laughs) What is that? That's when you get so excited about Jesus in the church that you stop hanging out with all of your non-Christian, non-church friends, and you spend all of your time in church classes, church community groups, church events, Sunday mornings, small groups, and church board games, church potlucks. (laughs) I could go on and on, right? And guess what? We, we that 
that you are all giving 10% of your income to support us so we can lead you are, prop, are part of the problem sometimes. We sometimes plan too many events. And what I'm, what I'm getting at is that if we consume all of our time around non-Christians, how are we ever gonna find people of peace? We're only ever gonna find Christians. Like, this, is, this has been true for me you know, not too long ago, where I literally just, I realized probably three or four years ago, I don't spend, I, I rarely interact with someone who doesn't know Jesus. The only time that I do is when I'm around complete strangers, you know, in public places. But other than that, there, I don't have any non-Christian co-workers, which that'd be a bad, that'd be a pretty bad thing if we, if I had a non-Christian co-worker, you know. So, so we, uh, we got to spend time around non-Christians. And maybe you're like, well, I don't even know where to start with that. My encouragement would be to uh, take inspiration from Wilson's example last week. Start with your neighbors. Do you know all of your neighbors' names? Some of you maybe do, but I bet you a lot of you don't. Like start with your neighbors when you see them working out on their lawn or when uh, you know, whatever other time you're able to. Uh, and it, be creative. Figure out ways to interact with them, but spend time with your neighbors. And that's a really good place to start. And, this recently happened with me. I had, a, I had a buddy who I've been friends with like a long time ago, like 15 years ago, who just o- over a year ago reached out to me randomly and was saying he wanted to hang out. And so I'm like, man, I know this guy's really far from God, and I'm going to make time for it. I'm going to make time, and I'm going to get uh, lunch with this guy and see. Maybe he's a person of peace. Okay, step three. Prioritize those who receive you and slash or are drawn to you. So in Luke 10, 5 through 7, Jesus said, Whatever house you enter, remain in that same house, and then do not move from house to house. So Jesus made it very clear. We're not trying to, like, find five or six or ten persons of peace all at the same time. Like, maybe two, uh, maybe three. It kind of depends on your life stage, but... Just find a few of those persons of peace and then dedicate your focus to them. Dedicate your evangelistic energy toward them. Now, something that doesn't come out as clear in Luke, in Luke but does in Matthew is that in Matthew's account, he clarifies that the apostles were only to stay at the homes of those who were indeed persons of peace. So... That's kind of uh, important to know because in Luke, it doesn't seem like he's exactly saying that, but Matthew clarifies that. And the modern day examples of this is when you run into someone and, and you're talking, you're catching up and like, hey, we should get lunch sometime or we should get coffee sometime. And you're like, yeah, we should. You both go your separate ways, never bring it up again. You know, how many times that happened, right? I think that's the equivalent of like interacting with someone who you think could be a person of peace, and, you know? Oh, yeah, let's actually do it. When, some, when you run into someone and they say that and you know they're far from God, actually get lunch with them. Actually get coffee with them. Prioritize them. Take however, don't take too much time, but take time to figure out, are they a person of peace? And maybe in that interaction, like maybe before the, hey, can we get lunch sometime, maybe you were able to kind of slip in a spiritual comment or say something about your relationship with God, and that'll also help you whether you should even get the lunch in the first place or not. Okay. So with my uh, step four, let's go to step four. 
build relationship you know, and or disciple, kind of just depending upon where you are in the process, but build relationship with your potential person of peace. In Luke 10, 7, Jesus said, remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. Eating and drinking was a highly relational activity in this time. Still is today, even in our culture, in a lot of ways. So build relationship with that person and again, there's, there's multiple ways you could find yourself in a relationship with a person of peace. It could have been that God prompted you to walk up to the downcast-looking cashier and share some message of hope about Jesus, and they respond really well to it. And so you start getting together with them to see if they would be someone who would actually fully embrace the way of Jesus. That's one route. Another route is like mine, where... My friend from 15 years ago texted me, hey, I'd really love to get together. And then we started getting together. So there's multiple ways you could find yourself in this scenario, but when you find yourself in this scenario, build relationship with that one person. That was kind of the point of Jesus telling them to stay in the one house because it was, hey, stay in this one house and develop and cultivate relationship with this person who is a person of peace toward you. Okay, and then finally, step five, which really is not step five. It could be anywhere between steps two through four. Uh, at the right time, share about Jesus with them. And a really good way people um, talk about this is speak inconspicuously about your faith. Amen. Meaning, like, just kind of like bring it up randomly without putting a whole lot of hype around it. Like we don't need to, when we're sitting across the table with someone, be like, okay, I'm going to share the gospel. Here we go. Did you know that there's a God who died for you? Like we don't have to do it that way, okay? You can just be sitting across. Like I was hanging out with a friend. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, and he wanted to talk about astrophysics, okay? So we started talking about astrophysics. We're talking about how... Could time be eternal, and what would that mean? And that led us into a conversation about, like, nihilism, which means, is everything pointless? Is there absolutely no purpose? And I just kind of threw in there, you know, this is why, like, you know, because we both agreed, like, it can't just, like, nihilism can't just, that just can't be true. There has to be some meaning. There has to be some purpose. And I just kind of threw out there, yeah, and that's what I think the way of Jesus really does for me. And then we kept talking. But it wasn't this like hyped up moment where I felt like I had to get all the right scriptures, say all the right words, and like share the gospel. Amen. It was just me talking naturally about my faith in Jesus Amen. when it came up. So again, at the right time, uh, which it could be like, again, in that scenario, it kind of came um, after I started meeting with this friend who was far from God. For another, it could be you actually lead with that. But either way, what you're doing is when you make those kinds of comments, like when you make those spiritual comments, you are like casting your, your line out and seeing, is this person a person of peace? Are they gonna, how are they going to respond to this? You know, are they going to be drawn toward this and receive this and want to know more about this, or are they going to rebuff it? And that leads to the last point I'll make. At any point... In steps two through five, let's throw, I want them to see it. Oh, yeah, that's up there. Yep, good. At any, or no, it's not. Can you throw this up? At any point in steps two through five, be prepared to move on if the person shows themselves to not currently be a person of peace. 
This is the freeing part of this strategy. You are not, the pressure is not on you to manipulate and coerce and figure out a way to sell the gospel to this person. Your job is just to be obedient to sharing Jesus with them and seeing how they respond. And if, the, if God has prepared their heart, like if, I'm not speaking Calvinistically here, but like if their heart has been prepared, if their heart has been prepared, if they are ready, if they are open, if they are seeking, then uh, it's not gonna take a sales pitch from you. Uh, and so, of course, this comes from Luke 10, 11, um, when Jesus says, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. You could say that if you want to, but that probably, <laughs> that probably won't uh, lead to anywhere good. Um, you know, in Matthew's account, that wipe the dust off is actually directed toward anyone who doesn't receive the apostles, not just the towns themselves. And and so again, what's going on here, let me quote Mike Breen again, the person of peace is someone God has prepared for that specific time. It is no good trying to force open doors that God has not opened. And we must not be distracted so that we miss the doors he has opened. So when someone says, ah, I'm not really interested, we don't have a script that tells us what to say next. We say, no problem at all, man. No problem at all. When someone's body language is clearly showing they are not interested in the interaction, we respect that. We don't need to like wait for them to verbally reject us. Now, don't get, there's more to say about that, but, but like you can take nonverbal signs as well to know that someone is not ready or not a person of peace. So I told you about my friends. I, I've recently been applying, I only learned this within the last year, this like approach to evangelism. And I've, I've recently been applying it. There are two persons of peace I believe God has, has brought into my life. Two, really, they're actually both two old friends who are really far from God right now. And I told you about the one. I've met with him several times and the, uh, the coolest moment I've had with him so far is um, we had had a number of conversations. Uh, he hadn't accepted Christ yet, but he had still indicated he was open, so I kept meeting with him. And I got a call one evening while Jamie and I were hanging out with some friends, and he called me and he said, dude, you'll never guess what just happened. I was um, out of town and this horrible accident happened. This tree like fell over in a windstorm and came within inches of hitting me. I would have been dead if it would have hit me. And after I got up from that, I just felt this incredible peace come upon me. And it was unlike, like what I was experiencing was unlike any drug I've ever taken in my entire life. <laughs> and he's like, and I know it was the presence of God. <laughs> Said that to me on the phone. And then my other buddy, uh, who um, a while ago we had a conversation, he just made it very clear to me he was not interested in Jesus whatsoever. Through a series of events, it seems more open. We've been having conversations. And, and at my birthday party, uh, towards the end of the night, in front of a group of like five guys, he said, you know what, everyone? I haven't done this and I can't remember how long, but I want to pray for Luke right now. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, God, if you exist, <laughs> I pray for you to, to bless my buddy. And so <clears throat> I can tell you, like, I'm getting, like, 
there is breakthrough happening in both of these guys' lives, and I didn't have to have a sales pitch to get there. And I didn't have to, uh, you know, stand up in an airplane and share the gospel with everyone who's sitting there, which I'm not, I'm not against that. I'm actually for that. Like, when the Spirit prompts you to do something like that, you do it, you know? It's not an either or, it's a both and. But the primary way that God, that Jesus outlined for his disciples to take his mission to the world was through this person of peace strategy. Find those who receive you. Share the gospel with them in these various natural ways um, and according to how the Spirit is prompting you in the moment. See if they receive it. If they don't receive it, move on. Will shared this last week. It's kind of like an apple tree where some of the apples on the tree are ripe and some aren't. Shake that tree, see which ones fall. You don't gotta get the ones that aren't falling to fall off, but the ones that do fall, those are the people who are ready to hear the gospel. So uh, we, I wanna bless you uh, just to go out and do this. Can you stand with me? I'm just gonna, prayer teams, you can come forward right now to be ready, but I'm just gonna pray a, a, bre- a blessing over over all of us that we can, we can start to step into this and start to find those persons of peace. Jesus, thank you that your way of doing evangelism is so much better than our ways, so much better than all the methods and the, the ideas we've come up with around evangelism. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would release just, a, just favor and grace on all of us right now to... start finding the persons of peace you prepared. I pray for those of us that feel way too busy to do any of this kind of stuff, that you would give us divine wisdom on how to clear our schedule and what things to start saying no to. And I ask, Lord, that you would would bring in, I I know for every single person in here, there are one or two people that you have already been preparing and that though, from those people, networks of people are going to come into the faith. Literally, thank you, Lord, that there are thousands of people ready to receive the gospel just from those in this room finding their persons of peace. So give us the courage to follow through with this, to actually go after this, to find our persons of peace. We love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.